Welcome to The Rock's Podcast. The Gospel According to Matthew was written by a former tax collector who was transformed by the power of Christ. Instead of keeping records for Rome, now he would keep records for God, carefully recording all that Jesus said and did. Matthew references more than 60 Old Testament prophecies, proving Jesus is indeed the promised Messiah. Jesus really is who he claimed to be, our Savior and soon returning King. Now let's join Pastor Ross with our verse-by-verse study through the Gospel of Matthew. Alrighty, it is that time. It is that time to get started. I welcome you back to your seats. We are picking back up in Matthew chapter 16. You can turn there and get ready as we ask the Lord for his blessing now. Father God, we thank you for the exchange that we are going to be a part of, uh, listening to the Lord Jesus deal with his opponents, the religious Pharisees, and then also some frustration with his own disciples. God, so help us to hear what your spirit is saying to each and every one of our hearts, to put those truths into practice so we can be a blessing to you. In Christ's name, amen. Amen. We were watching something on Netflix the other night. We noticed, I noticed the soundtrack the musical score that really seems to be behind every single scene, and you don't normally notice it, but it's always there to help you to know how you should be feeling, you know? Uh, There's something light and upbeat playing when something's silly and funny, or, you know, if there's a sad breakup going on, or if the dog goes missing, you bring in those violins, right? And... There's trumpets and cymbals clashing when armies go to war. I mean, Star Wars. I mean, would it really be Star Wars without that epic soundtrack? And so, yeah. And there's music to cue suspense as well, you know? Bring out that synthesizer, right? Something sinister is going on when the music slows down. And some of those darker chords are played. And so it just gives you a heads up. Something diabolical is going on. Well, here in Matthew 16, the opening scene, the music has gone dark. If we were listening to it, there would be a good reason to understand that something bad is taking place. And in this case, it's the Pharisees, the religious guys, (laughs) Go figure, you know, once again, they're making demands and all the while plotting to execute God's only begotten son. And so that leads to yet another clash that we, we get to overhear and learn from uh, with the Jewish Supreme Court. These guys represent the highest court in the land and they're going to take Jesus to task about yet another issue and Jesus is going to fire back. And 
traditions. So they're all concerned because he's breaking traditions, their traditions, and uh, calling them out for the hypocrites that they are. And they're envious and jealous. The crowds were hanging on Jesus' every word, and they couldn't have that. And so we begin the chapter with some uh, clashing and some uh, conflict with the religious leaders, which uh, gives way into some further uh, frustration with his own disciples. And it seems that they're not learning fast enough. And there's a reason for that, which Jesus is going to explain to them. And it's very helpful to us because we don't want to be in either boat. We don't want to be blind to spiritual truths like those religious uh, leaders who appeared to be in right relationship with God, but were not. And neither do we want to kind of have Jesus be a little bit disappointed at the progress we're making. Saved, but not mature. There's just something wrong with them, and he points it out, and it's something that we could all learn from. So we're going to go first to the sinister part of the story where the blind Pharisees are doing their thing. So cue the scary music, please. <laughs> That's scary. Can you see them approaching with their fake smiles, their long robes? The disciples, they're clueless that these guys want to have Jesus crucified. See? All right. We get it. <laughs> All right. Here we go. Verse 1. The Pharisees and Sadducees, they come to Jesus and they test him by asking him to show them a sign from heaven. He replies, when evening comes, you say it's going to be a nice day because the sky is red. And in the morning, today it's going to be stormy because the sky is red and overcast. You guys know how to interpret the appearance of the sky, but you cannot interpret the signs of the times, what God is doing in your midst. A wicked and adulterous generation, you guys looking for miraculous signs, but none will be given it except the sign of Jonah. Jesus then left them and went away. So that's the first part now dealing with these Sadducees and Pharisees. Now this is a big deal when you see them together. And in the Greek, it's emphasized that they're working together as one because everybody back in the Day, knew that the Pharisees and Sadducees are two parties of the assembly of the Supreme Court of Israel, and they hated each other. They despised each other. They had different theologies and philosophies. Uh, and so to come together like this, working side by side with a common enemy, well, the saying goes this way, the enemy of my enemy is my friend, right? And so... Uh, here we have them grasping for straws. What else are they going to do? I, I picture the crowd even when they come up and say, we want a sign. Jesus has been doing signs for like two and a half years at this point. And they've been seeing them. So even the crowd, I would think, would be rolling their eyes like, what are, are you guys talking about? 15 minutes ago, did you see you know, the blind guy who now he can see? right? And so 
They're grasping for straws because there's nothing you can do when you're telling a bunch of lies and your heart is hard and you don't want to surrender to the Lord. And so this recurrent theme, if it sounds familiar, it should because back a few chapters ago in Matthew chapter 12, they came and they asked for a regular miraculous sign, slightly similar, but it has enough differences uh, to be insightful for us this morning, right? So show us a sign. Are you kidding me? They were there. Do you remember, of course, the famous incident when the paralyzed um, man uh, was brought by his four friends and let down through the roof in front of a crowd. Well, the Pharisees were in there. And so Jesus said to the paralyzed man, man, you're, I tell you the truth, your sins are forgiven. Right? And they gasped and the Pharisees said, hey, who do you think you are? Only God can forgive sins. And so Jesus says, exactly. And to show you that I have the authority of God to forgive sins, I also say, get up from your stretcher. And the man stood up. Now, if that's not a sign from heaven, in fact, he's saying, do you want a sign? Here it is, boom, right in front of them. But, you know, if you love your sin and you cherish your autonomy, meaning I want to do life the way I want to do life, and you don't want to humble yourself and admit that you are a wretched, helpless sinner who needs God, right? And then you play games and you make stuff up. You deceive yourself into thinking, oh, it's about uh, uh, um, my, my struggle with faith. I just need a sign, you know. Well, they've had their sign from heaven. That's what they're asking for. This time they add from heaven, meaning we want you to do a sign on demand and have God show us that you are truly Israel's Messiah and the Savior of the world. But <laughs> they want a sign from heaven, and the one who reigns in heaven, God himself, has said, I came down from heaven, and the one who reigns in heaven is standing in front of them, having been conceived by the Holy Spirit into a human womb to come into this world as the God-man, standing there speaking to them, and they want a sign from heaven. After all, they've said, they're just closing their eyes and stopping their ears and hardening their hearts with devastating consequences. The Bible says in Proverbs 29, whoever remains stiff-necked after many rebukes will suddenly be destroyed without remedy. And so, of course, there's no hope. If you turn your back on God, your options for rescue are severely limited, right? And that's what they were doing. And so uh, Jesus here, right away, he said, the Holy Spirit says they, were, they came to test him. They didn't have any honest problem with faith. They came to trip him up, and that word means to tempt. And it really hearkens us back to Matthew chapter 4 when it's used of the devil, when the devil came to tempt Jesus, same word, and it's the same devil working through these sanctimonious mouths called the Pharisees and Sadducees. It's him. He's doing the same thing, only he's using the mouth of these unbelieving uh, wannabe fake pastors. And so the word means to tempt or to trip up, right? And so they're putting him to the test here. 
And as Jesus had to school the devil, Jesus told the devil straight at him, said Deuteronomy chapter 6 and verse 16 says, we don't put the Lord to the test. He's the Lord. We don't say, well, okay, God, get busy. If you're really God, then do this and then I'll do that. He says, no, excuse me. <laughs> I'm God. You're the created being. I'm the creator. And then I say to you, if you put your faith in my son, then I will give you eternal life. See, I do the, the directing and you do the receiving. And so, as I said last time, it was just a miraculous sign to prove that he had the authority to forgive or the authority to condemn. This time they want the sign to be from heaven to say this is the Messiah. And I, I have written down here, don't forget Matthew chapter 3 and verse 17. The Pharisees made their way out to the desert to see John the Baptist. And they were in the crowd. You want to talk about a sign from heaven? The heavens kind of split apart. Jesus walked into the baptismal waters there. And a voice from heaven God speaking, this is my son in whom I am well pleased. In case you think he's some sinner getting baptized for his own sins. No, he's the sinless son of God who will have our sins, the sins of the world laid upon him. And so he's identifying as a sinner because our sins are going to be laid on him. That's why he's getting baptized. But for me, you want a sign from heaven? You were in the crowds. Your friends were in the crowds. It says they were there when this sign was given. So it's all a bunch of nonsense, all a bunch of excuses. It would be better, I guess, to look at yourself in the mirror and say to yourself, I'm, I'm just struggling with faith and believing, than to look at yourself in the mirror and say, I am a rebellious sinner opposed to God himself. That would be hard to live with, and so they make stories up in their head, you know. And so... Uh, the sign on demand, you know. So it, it's not that, you know that, like I said last time we were in this discussion, it's not like uh, there weren't signs, but here's the, they're saying, oh yeah, was that guy really demon-possessed? Sure, right. He's faking it. Or was that guy really crippled? Or was that guy really blind? We want you to do a sign this way. We're in charge. We tell you. Call down fire. And preferably on that Ro Roman legion of soldiers who are oppressing Israel. You'll win our favor that way. And uh, just, you know, we say jump and you say how high and, and we'll follow you. And that's a, that's a lie. They won't. It won't matter. And the Bible says, if you don't believe the word of God, then you will not believe, even if somebody's raised from the dead in front of your eyes. And getting to the end of the story, he is raised from the dead, and they are told that by the Roman soldiers who saw the angel come down and roll the stone away, and there's no body in there. And they go and report to these guys who want a sign from heaven. <laughs> there's the sign, crucified and raised from the dead. And what do they say? Oh, we got our sign. No. They say, tell you what, you tell everybody, you guys fell asleep on the job, and his disciples came, and while you were sleeping, they stole the body. And if you get in trouble with your boss, we've got friends in high places. Don't worry about it. And they bribed them. 
So it's not, a, it's not a, an, an honest thing at all, which most unbelievers, they, they may think in their hearts, oh, this is about this or that or the other thing, when in fact they know a lot more than they let on to knowing. And the Lord knows about that because he's the one who searches our minds and hearts. He knows us. Psalm 44 says he searches the secrets of our hearts out. So, yeah, so... Moving on, Jesus sees some irony in all of this. <laughs> he says, look, this isn't an intellectual problem. You make observations and deductions all the time about the simplest things. I know that you can observe something and come to a conclusion, like the weather. If it's red skies at night and you're facing the west, that's a good sign, you know? Red skies at night, sailor's delight. Right, But if in the morning you're facing the east and it's red, oh, the low pressure is coming this way. It's just the opposite. It means there's going to be a storm. So red skies in the morning, a sailor's warning, you see. And so Jesus says, look at you guys. You're so smart. You make an observation. There it is. In the sky, speaking of heavens, a sign. You look up in the sky, you see a sign, and you go, hey, maybe I should... Bring an umbrella tomorrow to work. See, you saw something, you made a decision, you came to a proper conclusion. But when God Almighty is standing in your midst, doing what only God could do, and you are schooled in the Bible, they were the Bible experts. I mean, right down to Galilee in Isaiah chapter 9, which they all knew, they loved Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 9 and verse 2 says, A light will dawn on the valley of those in darkness. Galilee. Mentions Galilee. And this is where Jesus spends 80% of his teaching and his ministry time in the Galilee. It's right there. And they know all of this. When the wise men come and they're looking for, where's the king born king of the Jews? Uh, Herod goes, oh, I don't know, you know, and he calls them. <laughs> and they come into court and they say, where's, where's the Messiah supposed to be born? No pause in Judea of Bethlehem. Boom. They know they're not interested. And people who shut themselves out of the kingdom of God and claim, you know, I just can't buy it. Ah, some other stuff's going on and he exposes that. There, so he says, yeah, you guys, it's not a problem with your head, and it never is. It's a problem with the heart. It's a problem with the heart. And so, like people today, I think, you know, they make observations. If Jesus was speaking in today's language, he would say something like, you guys can read body language. You know by looking at someone's expression. Do they like you or they, do they not like you? And you act accordingly. Um, you can discern tone in a conversation and then uh, make a deduction. Or you can see smoke coming out of the top of a volcano. Right, and you can decide, you know, I think I'll forego that tour. Uh, you know, I don't want that to be in a helicopter flying over that volcano at this time because I've looked, I've seen, I've observed, and I've come to a conclusion. That's what he would say. Hey, you're walking down the street, a dog is walking toward you, the ears are pointed up, the lips are back, the teeth are exposed, he's growling, he's vicious, he's mean. You observe. You make a deduction, and you turn yourself around. 
That's what we do. But he says, in your case, you've got a worldwide pandemic. You've got leaders acting in very strange ways, exercising very strange uh, authority and very oppressive mandates of what? Shutting down an economy for something that seems to be 98, 99% recoverable. What's going on with a word Jesus uses to describe when he shall appear? Luke chapter 21, give us a sign. He says there'll be a pandemic or two along the way. He uses the word. And yet people can see the, <laughs> the snarling dog and go, ooh, I shouldn't do that. I'm walking that way. And instead, you know, a rise in anarchy and lawlessness and immorality and natural disasters and a pandemic and still going forward. The Bible has a word about that. It says, the wise person senses danger and takes cover. The foolish person senses danger and keeps going and suffers the consequences there. I, you know, and it doesn't take much to sense danger. I mean, I've told you this before. I was amazed by this tiny little spider. Tiny, right? It was in the bathroom sink. I'm like, ooh, what is that? Oh, it's a spider. So I take my, my killer index finger, and I'm coming down for the strike. I'm like, you better say the sinner's prayer because... <laughs> Your days are numbered, and down comes the finger, right? Well, I get halfway down, and he moves out of the way, and my finger hits the porcelain. So I'm like, and he's just like, huh, what was that about? You know, whatever. And so I'm like, oh, going to play like that, are you? And then I'm like sneaking up on him, and then boom, guess what? He moved out of the way again, just in the nick of time. And I was thinking, that is smarter than some people I know. That is smarter than some people I know who they see the index finger of God coming down and, or they're aging. Every wrinkle, every gray hair is saying, prepare to meet thy God. But we do keep going like we're going to live forever. You know, the fingers there were like, you know, boom. And so, yeah, how big is that spider's brain? Do they even have brains? Somehow he's computing danger and I need to move away from that fat finger. And he did. I'm so moving on. Jesus goes on the offensive and says, you know what you guys are? You're wicked. The word means lawless. I do whatever I want. I don't care what God wants. Do what I want to do. An adulteress, meaning, hey, Israel and the and the. Israel's fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, they started out good with God. God said, I'm like a husband to you. I'm your maker, for your maker is your husband. The Lord Almighty is his name, the Holy One of Israel, the God of all the earth. You see? But something happened, and I think Hank Williams Jr. caught, caught it quite well when he wrote a song called Your Cheating Heart. Your cheating heart will make you weep. You'll cry and cry and try to sleep, but sleep won't come the whole night through. Your cheating heart will tell on you. You see, that's what Jesus 
told them it was like to him. He said, you guys are cheating on God and you love something else other than him. And what they loved more and was their mistress was the praise of men rather than the praise of God. So they bowed at the altar of self who were more in love with self-rule than being ruled by the one who made them. And so, yeah, so that's evident. The rejection of Christ and truth and all the signs that Jesus was doing for them really was proof that they had chosen the evil. So the sign of Jonah there, well, the sign of Jonah, he says, you get a sign, but the only sign you're getting is like I told you guys in Matthew chapter 12, where you're not reading and paying attention to them, telling them, look, a few chapters ago, right? Uh, I told you the only sign you're getting is Jonah, who has a lot, <laughs> a lot of similarities between Jonah and the Lord. I mean, for one, uh, they're all in trouble on the boat, and he says, listen, sacrifice me, and you guys will be okay. So he sacrifices his life, Jonah, by b- telling them, toss me into the sea, and you guys will be sur- you, you guys will survive, right? And so like Jesus, he disappears from sight for a few days. He, he descends into the belly of the earth, and is as good as dead. It seems like he's dead. And then on the third day, like Jesus, he rises from the dead. And then when he rises from the dead, Jonah goes out and preaches a a message of repentance. Just like Jesus' first words were, repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. And so he says... That will be your sign. And, and really, he means it in, in, in a devastating and heart-wrenching way. You will try to destroy me, and here's going to be your sign. Your final sign is this. I win, you lose. You tried to destroy me, but if you don't repent, uh, I will destroy you. And that's exactly what will happen. One writer said this. Wow. For some stubborn hearts who choose to remain in unbelief, they die in their sins. And the only sign that they'll get is when they stand before the exalted Jesus on, whose, uh, on his throne, and he will pronounce their dreadful sentence. There now is proof that the gospel was true, uh, but this realization will come after its too late. So, you know, you see them on their way to perishing, and the thought would be, oh, yeah, he really was who he claimed to be. That's their sign. It's not very helpful, though. And so we see our Lord had a full plate on that day. He's going to get in the boat with his disciples now. They're going to take off. And no doubt, and this is what you have to understand to understand why he comes undone when they can't get a simple sentence, he says, straight off their foreheads. Uh, they're debriefing about the Pharisees and the Sadducees and what just happened. They're in the boat, and then they get to the shore, and Jesus uses a little figure of speech, and they're lost. And Jesus says, are, are you kidding me? Let me show you what I'm talking about here. Verses 5 through 8. So when they cross the lake, and Jesus, of course, he's teaching. That's what he does. The disciples forgot to take bread, and Jesus is going to say, be careful. Jesus said to them, be on your guard against the yeast of the Pharisees and Sadducees. 
and they discussed this among themselves, and they said, it's because we didn't bring any bread. That's what that means. <laughs> Aware of their discussion, Jesus says, you have little faith. Why are you talking among yourselves about having no bread? Are your hearts hardened? I threw this in from Mark. It brings a fuller understanding. Do you have eyes, but you can't see, and ears, but fail to hear? And so we'll park there. And now we, we move from the struggle with his adversaries uh, to his frustration with his disciples. And it kind of surprises us on a surface read anyway. Jesus, you know, why just chill out a little bit. I mean, they just didn't understand how yeast and Pharisees, uh, you know, uh, no, 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 Jesus would say, oh, no, you had to be there. You have to understand what's going on here to understand why I rebuked them. Jesus would never rebuke somebody if they had an honest uh, problem understanding something. There's a lot of complicated things he says, and he doesn't rebuke people when they have a hard time understanding it. But this case, there's something different going on, and it's something that we do. So it's important to talk about. So there, there was an oversight. Whoops. You know, nobody packed the lunches, the bread, the dinners, or whatever, right? There's no bread on board. Uh, they get to the shore, verse 5, and let's say Peter, Peter's hungry. He starts rifling through the bags and the sacks, and he's like, where's the bread? And Andrew says, I thought you had it. And Peter says, no, I asked Philip. And then Philip says, did not. And then <laughs> you know what Peter said, did too. And they go back and forth. And Jesus, here's the bread thing. And he says, well, speaking of bread, I'll tell you, there's one bread you don't want. And it's that of the Pharisees. And they're like, what? <laughs> but they don't say, what? They go among themselves. Because first, not to look bad, they do that thing we all do when you know there's a little bit of pressure on you to know what the guy's talking about, but you don't have a clue, but you're not going to say that. So you're going to kind of fake it like, yeah, right. <laughs> you know? So they're all like, yeah, amen. <laughs> yeah, we don't want any of that bread, you know, or that yeast or whatever. And so they do a little affirmative grunt or whatever, and they force their smile. And then they get alone, it says, among themselves. And they're like, what in the world was he talking about? The yeast of the Pharisees, do they have a recipe, a better recipe than we do? You know, or, you know, he, and then one of them is like, he's chiding us. We forgot the bread. He's saying you're a bunch of boneheads. Not even the Pharisees would do that. <laughs> no, that's not what it is. Or maybe one of them said, listen, he wants us to be gluten free. I don't know. <laughs> I have that down there with a question mark, <laughs> meaning I don't know if it was funny or not. And it turned out not to be. <laughs> All right, so Jesus clearly expects them to be able to take a little figure of speech and tag it back to the two-hour sermon in the boat of reflecting and being spiritual. Maybe one of them was playing the guitar. They were out in church. They're talking. And he figures that we can get out of the boat. I can make a, 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 a tag a line back to that. And you guys go, bam. But no. So he says, number one, the problem is why. And he calls them dense. It, it's dull. 
slow of heart, he calls them. He says, what's your problem? You shouldn't be this way. You should have got that. That's the problem. There are lots of things that the Holy Spirit goes, hey, boom. And we're like, duh. And he goes, oh, no, 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 no. You should have got that. You should have got that, and you're responsible for not getting it because you're being spiritually immature. You're not in the place where you can make the connections that I'm trying to give you. That's your job. You're not doing your part. I'm doing my part, but you've got a part to play too. So he says, it's one word in the Greek, little faith men. Like I told you last time he used that. He just looks at them and goes, little faith men. Little faith men. No, what does that have to do with not understanding about the yeast of the Pharisees? Plenty. He's saying, if you had more faith, more interest in me and spiritual things, you would have understood exactly what I meant by that. So here's the problem. I told you in the boat ride, they're debriefing. They're talking all about it. Jesus just didn't out of the blue with no connection whatsoever, make, a, make an allusion to uh, something figurative like that? No, there was context. So the disciples are quick to exit the boat. As soon as, here's what happens, they exit the boat and they switch the channel. The channel from spiritual reflection, prayer time with the Lord, listening, understanding to, oh, it's time for lunch. Okay, we got out of the boat, and now we're a million miles from that conversation about the Pharisees and the Sadducees, how their teaching spreads and grows, and, and, and kind of like yeast. Oh, no, 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 he can't tag back, because they left the conversation. They have categorized, this is our spiritual life still, and this is practical. We're out of the boat now. We're doing our secular thing, Jesus. Time to eat. It's time to take a break from being sensitive to the Holy Spirit and walking with God. We don't walk with God every second of the day, Jesus. I mean, there's mouths to feed. Got to go to work, you know? And so I clock in on my Sunday, and one writer said, some Christians pile out of the church in the same way the disciples piled out of the boat. Okay, done with spiritual stuff, you know, chop, chop, time to get back to life. And they climb in the car, and the Holy Spirit would have a hard time applying a truth from the sermon that they heard three hours earlier, wherever they need it, three hours later. Because why? They switch channels. It would have been so obvious if they kind of stayed reflecting a little bit. Nobody stays on point the whole day. That's not what he's saying. He's saying your communication with me, you always got the radar on. You always got the back burner going. You're walking with me. You're always sensitive and soft. And that's the next word. He says, is your heart hardened? Which means when you live carnally and telling rude jokes or thinking uh, worldly thoughts or doing unsavory things or unbecoming of a Christian, you become worldly. Now the heart isn't ready to hear that quick little, hey, did you catch this? Look at that. Here's how, what you should say right now. You can't hear it. Why? Because he says, is your, and I love Jesus. He just asked the question. He doesn't accuse them. Is your heart hard? I mean, are you watching all these things that make you more dull? to the things of God? 
I mean, we've, we've got parts to play. So he says, if you increase your faith, if you, if you soften your heart, uh, you'll, make, you'll be able to take that connection and hear what the Spirit is saying. You guys can do better than that. That's what he's saying. And then thirdly, he's saying, do you guys got um, eyes, but you're not using them? You've got ears, so it's a user error, right? You're not using the blessings that God has given you, spiritually speaking, to grow in him, to serve him, to become a man or a woman of God. You've got the equipment, but, but it's dulled from its lack of use. Do you see? Let me show you a sad picture from Hebrews chapter 5. Paul, it's believed, I believe, wrote to the Hebrews. It's not signed and nobody really knows, but perhaps Paul the Apostle is saying to his Hebrew Jew Jewish Christian friends, by now you guys should be teachers. You should be on the platform. You could be filling in for the pastor by now. Instead, you need somebody to teach you the ABCs again, to know the, God's word from the, the first things about God's word. You still need milk instead of solid food. Anyone who lives on milk can't not understand the teaching about being right with God. He's a baby, like we saw. They're really cute. Listen, babies are cute. Everything about them. My grandkids, even their drool is cute. Look at that, oh, shit, sweet. You know, you can even kiss the drool. It's just, it's just, it's everything about them is wonderful. You're going to go potty now, you know? I mean, I don't even know how you could go there, but if everything about them, but I'll tell you what, if they're drooling at seven, your heart's broken, and you've been to some doctors, and if you're changing diapers at 11. You're crushed. And sadly, the Lord is looking at them and saying, you guys got a little drool right here, and you shouldn't. You shouldn't. You should have got that. And it's kind of your fault for not getting things because you're not cooperating. You know? You can't categorize your, your life and expect to grow and be sharp and be the person that God has commanded you to be. And so, yeah, some, some Christians, man, they're decades old in the Lord. They've known the Lord for 30 years. And guess what? They've still got the drool, okay? Uh, they're still bickering. They've been married 10, 20, 30 years, 40 years. And they're bickering over what? A parking space? Are you kidding me? Come on. <laughs> or they're still drinking too much when they know that's a problem. Or they're still falling into the same old sins after 30 years, 20 years, 10 years, after five years. Yes, saved. Possibly. But not growing, not effective, not productive. And so... Uh, it does close up. They do finally get it. But uh, he, there's also another problem going on, and we're closing up now. He, they are worried about the lack of bread for their own lives. There's no food, right? And so they're like, where are we going to get the food? Oh, no, we don't have bread. So Jesus, and he continues on here. 
he continues on by saying, let's talk about bread, guys. Okay, I know you're concerned about, whoops, we don't have any bread, but let's talk about some recent incidents. Okay, when I fed the 5,000, there was a lot of bread there. Oh, yeah, there was a lot of bread. Uh, you know, how many basketfuls left over? 12 baskets on top of the 5,000 or more. And then he said, and it happened again, this bread thing, right? And we only had a few pieces, and then we fed 4,000 Gentiles, right? And how many baskets? A lot of bread there. Oh, yeah, there was bread, bread, bread. It was like nonstop bread everywhere. And everybody ate as much as they want, Lord. And how many baskets did you guys pick up afterwards? The second time I did this, seven basketfuls. Okay, so do you think I'm going to have a hard time with a table of 12? Honestly, that's what he says. Are you kidding me? I'm with you. Do you remember the first time, the second time, the extra baskets? There's a lot of bread. And you're like, oh, no, there's 12 of us. <laughs> And we have nothing to eat. We're going to go hungry because I got your daily necessities and I've proven it in the past. All you need to do, see, is recall it, make the observation. That'll affect how you're speaking and how you're living and either your peace or a little bit of your panic. That's what's going up. I want to read a text to you and then we're done. To my sister, in between services, not while I was preaching, but in between, <laughs> just let you know. I said, hey, Jody, what would you say is the one thing that really helped you go from where you were as a nominal Christian to so much more spiritually on fire and mature? I'm talking about the disciples who Jesus is calling dull and how they needed to get their acts together. Because my sister went from nominal Christianity to she leads a BSF group. She's serving at her church. She is just on fire for the Lord. And I'm just like, after all those years, what happened? And she said, hmm, I think it's a couple things. No true fulfillment in serving my, myself and my own needs really coming to understand his unconditional love for me and how it comes uh, close to nothing else in this world. And recognizing good and evil is real around me. The battle is real. And I want to choose to walk with him. Right? And so she also told me that it's the word of God. She started going to BSF. And then she was reading, and she fell in love with the Word of God. And when she didn't understand it, she'd go online and listen to sermons, and it was the Word of God that took her and transformed her from very frustrated Christian life, a lot of crisis Christianity going on, you know, doing really good during the crisis. But then, you know, we take a break to on fire all the time and such a blessing to others and a blessing to God. Let's pray together. Father God, we just thank you for your great love. We ask that you would take these truths and help us to understand them and put them into practice in our own lives. God, thank you for the smelling salts of your word that kind of wake us up and help us to become who you've created us to be. In Jesus' name, amen. 
You've been listening to The Rocks Podcast. Our regular services are held on Sunday mornings at 8.30 and 10.30 a.m. in Santa Rosa, California. If you'd like to learn more, please visit our website at cctherock.org. 